0: with all the news and events of the recent days, we wanted to think a little bit about our contribution to what leaders are going through and the kinds of decisions that those of us who are responsible for organizations are having to make in times of crisis. So Mike and I had been talking for some time about our common experience in in leadership situations in different industries, but also our common background in the military. And just wanted to offer some insights from our experience and have just an open-ended conversation about how we can make good decisions and come out of this crisis with our organizations and ourselves stronger as leaders. So by way of introduction, I started this career in a pretty unconventional way. I was a student of history, then I went and fired Patriot missiles in the Army for four years uh, during the 9-11 era and in Operation Iraqi Freedom. And then after that, leaving as a captain, I started my financial career on Wall Street during the great financial crisis. and now and helping to guide my firm and my clients through what is a unique experience in all of our lives. What we wanna try and do is bring some knowledge and perspective, but also some ideas on how leaders can be more effective during times of crisis. My guest, Dr. Michael Consuelos, Mike is the founder and principal at MJC Solutions, which is a veteran owned small business that provides consulting and advisory services to organizations large and small, particularly in the healthcare sector. He's had several leadership roles in emergency preparedness and pandemic response since 1997. Uh, Most recently, Mike was the Senior Vice President for Clinical Integration at the Hospital and Health System Association of Pennsylvania, otherwise known as HAP. At HAP, he provided clinical administrative leadership for the hospital preparedness program for the state of Pennsylvania. His experience includes leading a health system pandemic response to the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. Mike's coordination of the health system response with local, state, and federal authorities to maintain healthcare business continuity has been used as a model by other healthcare systems. He's been invited to speak to national audiences on regional healthcare response capabilities during nuclear incidents and maintaining business continuity during a pandemic. He has an undergraduate degree from Princeton, his medical degree from the University of Pennsylvania, completed pediatric training at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the Walter Reed Army Medical Center and he received his executive MBA from Penn State and is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Good to see you.
1: Good to see you, Dennis. Good morning. And so before we start, I just wanted to just, uh, we, said, we said hi and how are you there earlier, but I, I really do want to know how are you with all this up and down in the market and kids you know, at home all day, how, how's that all going for you? Thanks
0: for asking. It's going well, but it's also one of those times for you really have to check in on the on the self-awareness side because yeah. it's just you know, going down the black hole of information and, and decision fatigue is a, is a real thing so it's definitely stepping back and, and drawing on past experience and trying to manage the the emotional response and the uh, the information flow as best as possible but it, it's going well it's going well how, how about you how have things been for you
1: uh, you know, it's been busy. I apologize to uh, the viewers, listeners, this morning. I'm a little bit of a <laughs> scratchy throat. Uh, so for the past two or three weeks, as you can imagine, I've been on a lot of conference calls. Actually, uh, doing some podcasts uh, with Jenny Blake, and uh, all around this topic. And this morning, actually, before this call, I spoke to a, you know basically a tech firm looking to do things in this space. So as you know, I, I rescued my college-age daughter from University of Michigan. Uh, Go Blue. So that was a quick turnaround to get get her out of there. And then my son, Alec, who you also know, he's uh, working for ESPN in New York City, and he is 100% home. They've been home as a company at the corporate level in New York City for almost two weeks. So the whole family is, uh, you know, doing their thing, but doing well. Thanks for asking.
0: Good, good. The pace of adjustment to life has been different from anything I've experienced. So there's a lot of triage that goes on. So we've gone to a, a kind of a split schedule of a handful of people in the office, handful of people out, we also testing the ability to work remotely in, in recent days. And all of those things are, are, are positive, but it's also made the communication challenging, even internally with the family and trying yeah. to keep up. So we'll get into that a little bit. It, tell me, how did this become the path? For you, pandemic response doesn't sound like the top, you know, top tier when you're in the fifth grade, as as far as the things you set yeah. up to do. So, so, how does it get from from there to here?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question, and I think I may just raise my hand uh, a, a few too many times. Uh, so, as you mentioned, I was, you know, we both uh, veterans, and so when I was at Walter Reed, they needed somebody, uh, a pediatrician, on a couple of committees around chem bio response. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, twenty plus years ago, and ever since then. Uh, whether it be at, at uh, Walter Reed, at Fort Knox, at uh, Lehigh Valley Health Network, or at the state level, I've always uh, been interested in uh, emergency preparedness and specifically pandemic response. As a pediatrician, the most common diseases we see are uh, infectious diseases, so it was a, seemed like a, like a natural fit. And so that for me, it was an area of interest uh, from a uh, you know military perspective from the beginning. And then as we started seeing uh, more and more uh, disasters, mass casualties uh, across the United States. I, it was just, you know, it's something that I feel passionate about to help people go through this. And most recently, my work has been really around business continuity in times of a disaster, specifically pandemics, because as we're seeing now, it has a significant impact, not just on business, business owners, uh, but employees and families. It's it's one thing that we will probably continue to see. So Catch us up on the current situation. Yeah, Dennis, before I do that, I so I, I want to give everybody a little bit of perspective because I think that early on there was a significant population, not just in this country but across the world, that were skeptical about uh, what coronavirus would be for us. And uh, there were a lot of inaccurate comparisons to the influenza. Coronavirus has been around for millennia, uh, probably it's just a common, it's a very simple virus. It's just basically a piece of proteins and RNA that's kind of wrapped up in a little bit of fat, lipid. Kind of, it's very, very simple. It's been around for a long time. It causes the common cold, and it is uh, something that we test for regularly now for a couple of decades as we do different infectious disease panels when we're looking for influenza or other diseases. So coronavirus, although it's Popular now in the lay understanding, uh, in the zeitgeist, but it really has been around forever. So, our first introduction to something that was not the usual coronavirus was back in 2003. And folks are, are familiar with the SARS uh, pandemic. In that point, that, that's the severe acute respiratory syndrome. That's what SARS stands for. And in fact, it's SARS coronavirus, was the first one. And what we're seeing now is technically SARS coronavirus 2. So even though we're calling it COVID-19, that's the technical term. And that started also in Asia and really spread across the world, but not nearly as quickly or as easily as we're seeing now with the current coronavirus, the the SARS coronavirus 2. And really, it lasted about a year. And it had about a 10% fatality rate. Uh, people got very, very sick, very, very quickly. But for what a reason that coronavirus just wasn't spreading as easily? You had to have some pretty close contact with people, kiss, or have people, someone cough on you persistently on top of you, uh, and they got infected. So people got very sick very quickly. The next one was MERS, so that's the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and that started back in uh, two thousand and twelve. That was also a very short-lived event um, that came out of Saudi Arabia and and moved to the United States over through a few cases. Those folks were very sick. So SARS-1 was not, you know, it was a big deal, 10% mortality, but this was even worse. It was almost 35% mortality, Dennis, and people got sick very fast, ended up in the ICUs very quickly. So when you are an organism that infects another organism, uh, you have a couple of different choices. One is to be very mild and you could be spread very quickly in the population. Or unfortunately for the host, you could have an infection that kills the host very quickly, but that limits your spread. And so, with a case fatality rate or mortality rate of around thirty five percent, that actually stopped very quickly. So what we're seeing now, so so that's just the the background. That's why when when it was a coronavirus coming out of Asia, and we had mortality rates in the two or three percent, and we started seeing uh, evidence that the virus could stay alive on surfaces for long periods of time, hours to days, depending on the temperature of the room, uh, ultraviolet right a bunch of different factors. It could stick around very well and was spreading so quickly through the Chinese uh, city of Wuhan and the Hubei province, it really was something that people were concerned about from the very beginning. And as you can see now, there are several countries where the mortality rates are quite high. So the the most scary event that's happening right now is that Italy had uh, about 460 deaths yesterday, about 380 uh, deaths the day before. And that's like a 747 jumbo, jumbo jetliner crashing in your country every day. The average uh, age of that group in Italy is around 80. So it's a much older population. Just some new data was published earlier today um, that showed that most of those patients had, you know, if you're 80 years old, most likely to have a medical problem. That information is helpful in understanding why this is so deadly. But I must warn folks, because this is the other thing, is we certainly see pictures of people in, on spring break uh, in Florida and Texas Right now, the the severe disease rate in people under the age of 18 looks like it's about 6%. So not a lot of deaths, but still a lot of hospitalizations and and younger people in serious medical conditions. So that's my three-minute kind of update uh, and also historical lesson, and this is really not the flu. This is, a first of all, it's a completely different virus. It lasts a lot longer on surfaces than the influenza and seems to be hitting high risk groups at a much higher rate uh, than we've seen in the past in anything that's like influenza. So for for leaders, you're always worried about your blind spots. So what are the things that people aren't talking
0: about or, or should be top of mind that, that may be a blind spot right now?
1: Yeah, well, that's, a, that's a big question. So I, I think that right now, uh, as I work, so I've done my work in in business continuity. What we're seeing now is the impact on the workforce, and we can maybe spend some time around that and leading a, a virtual workforce. So we're talking about leaders, right? So there are companies, obviously, like tech companies, who are used to having. Uh, small pockets, productive, sort of deliverable based organizational structure or um, methods to deliver their work in a asynchronous around the globe with uh, tech, right? A lot of programmers that are offshore, those companies, you know, this is sort of not exactly business as usual, but but it's something they've done before. Mm -hmm. I think what we're seeing now is how do you run a company as a leader, in an asynchronous uh, measure, potentially, or in areas where you're not seeing your folks day to day, and are you set up for it, compounded with the issues with schools being closed, daycares closing, colleges you know, running out to get your college kids, even if you had a sort of work at home policy within your organization, I'm not sure people kind of calculated the impact of working at home with your entire family or, or in two income households, both individuals having to to sort of share bandwidth uh making sure there's enough hardware in the home and those kind of things so that's just that's the very sort of very top level kind of initial blind spot that some organizations are are sharing i know that there's a lot of there's a race to to cash and trying people trying to figure out how to get liquidity
0: and how you can how you can manage through just the the cash crunch that this creates with a, a lack of customers or a restaurant shutting down things like that that's one challenge how do you think, do you think people can pivot in the, in the moment? And, yeah. you know, if you weren't prepared for the personnel side, that the, you know, suddenly the dispersion out to the home, working and all of those things, how do you, yeah. how do you create, maintain culture, maintain effectiveness to the extent you need to when you have that quick dispersion of people?
1: So I think the organizations who have the highest level of organizational trust, uh, organizational Psychological safety, who are set up that their culture is resilient and agile to take these large hits. I think this is going to be pressure testing a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations. And let me go down as you think about, as you talk about that, a couple of things came to mind, Dennis, in that organizations who had been flexing their muscles in this space or actually had a business continuity plan already in place, right? So if you don't have a business continuity plan for whatever reason, uh, you know, right now you're sort of making it up as you go, but when you're done with this, that's also a learning opportunity for folks to to know what they're missing. So I mentioned trust and safety. In organizations, we're used to seeing people work at their desk, at their cubicles, coming to meetings. Uh, you sort of have this maybe even false sense of of um, security that you that people are producing their work, right? And now you can't see them. It's harder to get a hold of them. Uh, I think that that's the companies who trust their folks, who've given them responsibility. Uh, you know, you and I are familiar with battlefield promotions, right? So yeah. uh, right So right now, I think there's a lot of folks out there who are getting battlefield promoted to being a manager of themselves, where maybe they had a manager who would be mm-hmm. regularly looking upon their work or feed, giving them feedback. Now you need to have to manage yourself. You're going from a foot soldier private now to a uh, kind of like your own little platoon leader. I think that that is uh, something that you will we will find. the The other thing I think that I'm concerned about. I've talked to other people about is call them more experienced um, workforce that maybe hasn't and in totally invested and bought into this technology that we're using right now. Right. So people who are not into web conferencing or video conferencing have been always been pushing back. They may be struggling and i think leaders from organizations need to reach out to people and say how are you doing with this how can we help you and support them whereas there may be other folks in organizations who are flying through this but the ones who are struggling may be afraid to ask for um, right. weakness and those kind of things
0: that's, that's an interesting point i like the the whole battlefield promotion idea because there's a, there's a amount of delegation that happens so we need you to do this we need uh, each person to step up and maybe take on more responsibility but we know, and, and you and I have worked in both organizations, large and small, sometimes there's a disconnect between the mission and the vision of the, the large organization and what all the individual participants are doing, that there's, they don't yep. quite feel bought in. At, at times like this, that's okay. Like, there's a lot of the vision and mission that, that becomes over there. It's very much in the day, in the moment. What do we need to do today? So I think for leaders, it's an opportunity to reconnect with those people and say, Vision and mission aside, we're going to do what we need to get done today to get through this. Here are the top three things that you need to accomplish. And I think that can be an empowering feeling for that newly kind of, even if it's that promotion that you've received, here are the three things that you can accomplish that help us, this organization get through this period. And that communication from leader down through the the channels can be really important at this point and gain that buy-in that sometimes is missing during normal times.
1: Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I I think that you have to be so much more clear. You know, you and I can see each other. I can't see everybody else. I mean, there might be some people checking their email right now, right? Uh, Checking their Facebook post. Uh, They may be cooking uh, breakfast. I don't know, you know, doing other things. And they're kind of listening in on this or driving to their workplace of work. Whereas if, if this was a business meeting, that still could happen and there's and there's some great you know hints out there about trying to to move into a space where as a leader uh, make sure your workforce is on task but that clarity piece that you brought up is really important you almost have to over communicate mm-hmm. uh, I'm a relatively fast talker and it's very odd for yeah. me to be speaking to be speaking <laughs> at this very slow pace but the feedback I've gotten from people Dennis is as I look at people who do this regularly is you have to go to like 80% speech speed because people are uh right. you know it's a little bit harder to follow they can't see your gesturing and those kind of things There's a lot of cues you're not getting the, the, the last thing I'll, I'll sort of maybe uh be transparent you talk about transparency and clarity i want to be a little bit transparent and clear about something you said a little while ago about uh, you know checking in with your people now for those of you who uh, made the call from the very beginning and heard my intro the first thing i asked dennis was how are you how are you doing mm-hmm. how's your family yep. doing Dennis, you did the same thing for me. Okay, guys. Yes, it was a little orchestrated and felt a little odd, but we're trying to model something that should be instituted into your meetings that are now virtual, whereby uh, we're starting to lose that human connection. And it could be weeks, it could be months as leaders. When the possibility arises, check in with people because people are going to be stressed. Yeah. The other th- the other thing I want to add is that a lot of organizations jam their schedules or their agenda so that literally, if you're like three minutes behind what the little agenda says, people start freaking out. They're moving along. Take a step back from that. Um, leave right. a little bit of space for this kind of human interaction, for the checking in and checking out of a of a meeting, making sure everybody's on the same sheet of music. Because if you don't leave space. For those questions, then what you're doing is you're shutting people down. They're afraid to talk in this larger meeting that they may have a yep. question that is going to affect their work, where in the past, they could walk across or maybe tap the person next to them and say, hey, now, did you get that? Or, what do they mean by that? You know, They may do one-to-ones, which they can still do, but if you don't leave space for people to have questions, mm-hmm. and if you don't pace your, your meetings in a way that allows for that uh, safety, like uh, psychological safety, for people to feel safe enough to ask a question and go through this, you're going to miss on opportunities, and you'll go, you'll fly right past uh, people's needs, and you may run into business problems.
0: Right, and, and you're exactly—it's a cultural thing. Like you, you as the leader, if you're sitting in this hierarchical organization, you can't ask a dozen, fifty, a hundred people all the time how they're doing. But if you set yeah. that tone that this, this is the right thing to do to ask someone that you know how are you doing really, but then also the expectation is I'm fine isn't a good enough answer in times like this because yeah. there—it's it, there's something we're all feeling, whether it's professional stress or stress in the family with working from home or, or anything else, setting that tone that, that each one of us can check in with the other, that it's not just you as the leader, it's everyone can do this. And, and it's one of the more important things that we can do in this.
1: Yeah. And and uh, I think that, you know, while we're talking about communication, I think the other thing that we can talk about a little bit about is Leaders communicating during these times of crisis, uh, not just internally, but externally. I don't know what your inbox looks like, Dennis, but every morning I'm getting three or four major retailers who are communicating to me as a customer about what they're doing. You know, I have no affiliation with Best Buy. Just it just popped into my email in my inbox this morning and they said right. they're gonna limit some hours in some areas, they're gonna limit shifts to people. They're going, you know, they basically went step by step, allow only a certain number certain number of people in the stores, exhibit good social distancing. They went through their plan and communicated it, and then they talked about their employees, depending on the hours that people work. If they can't work because they're taking care of themselves or their family, they're gonna continue to pay them. Um, they're gonna continue to basically the stream of income. So as a customer, I'm hearing what they're doing. For me, it makes me feel like, oh, this company cares about their employees. I don't know what their internal communication has been, but that external communication that includes the plan for the employees and reassuring what we're doing for ourselves as a company is a huge morale booster, I imagine, for the employees for that company. Because I'm sure everyone who works on hourly wage today is concerned about their income, as, as we mentioned a little bit earlier. And that crisis communication is critical, both internally as leaders to let folks know what you're thinking and the external customers, let know what they're thinking and and show what you're doing for your own employees. That is an important piece of social equity you can build with your employees and your customers. And don't be afraid to change it. The other thing I've been talking about, one of the reasons my throat is sore is I'm constantly called into uh, organizations to, to assess their business continuity or in healthcare, what they're doing with screening right now and day-to-day that's that that changes so don't be afraid to change your message and that's another step don't be afraid don't don't let perfect be the enemy of good at this point in time be kind of scrappy and which makes me think about the uh the earlier question like that idea yeah being scrappy and being an entrepreneurial this new time is time to flex your entrepreneurial muscles so if you start a business and you're now we're well established think about the things that you did said uh, the behaviors exhibited back when you're kind of scrappy and, and really working hard to communicate and pitch people, you need to return to those roots because those are the companies, in my opinion, will help retain their employees, that will right. help uh, retain their customers, and at the end are probably learning in real time. Dennis, and we're, we're going to keep going back to this, is this is a huge, this, this is not just a genera- generation-defining event. Hopefully, we'll never have a World War III, but this is basically the World War III of our generation the current generation right so world war ii ended a lot of those folks unfortunately have passed away but this is a completely and, and society learned a lot from that manufacturing learned a lot about that uh transportation if we go back and take our history books the changes in our society and in a global economy that happened after that was tremendous what i'm hoping is people are learning in the moment but also looking to in the recovery phase change the way they do their business forever because this is the opportunity one more comment on the
0: on the communication side, which you're right that the, the effectiveness of that really matters. But I think the precision, you, I don't know who your you know benchmarks for great communicators in history yes. are. But if you look at someone like a Winston Churchill, for example, the amount of ink that he spilled writing and communicating in his life was just volumes and volumes and volumes. Yeah. But when it came to communication, he was very, very precise. He thought of each word and and did not... Overexpand, we want to make sure it was digestible and direct, and I think that's the challenge for us as leaders is to not, um, there's an overcommunication, there's communicating about the right thing at the right time, and it's okay to step back from the noise and the chaos and say, what is the right thing to communicate about right now, and, and you're right, maybe it's the, the care of our employees, maybe it's the care of our uh, supply chain, maybe it's the, you know, w- whatever that thing is, be precise and, and don't don't feel like you have to expand on all of your thoughts just discern the right thought at the right time and communicate it effectively.
1: Have you seen where it's not been done well? Are there there concerns from from your perspective and your work and your profession where you're concerned that people may have missed what we're just talking about?
0: Living in the financial world, I think that the gravity is always towards being very wonky and fundamental, like Mm -hmm. looking at individual companies and trying to figure out what is the fundamental story that underlies this and full humility comes about at a time like this, where there is no fundamental story. This is something that's unprecedented. This is where we can't project out, you know, weeks, let alone months. It's really a lot of, uh, once fear takes hold, then you kind of have to scrap the fundamental story a little bit and think about stewardship and, and shepherding, whether it's your company, your organization, your family, think about what it's going to take to get there. Certain things you can't accomplish on the fly. Like, you know, for some companies, you can't change your balance sheet overnight. Um, or yeah. you can't change your, your organizational structure overnight. But what are the things you can do? I think people that are caught off guard or on their heels are the ones who are only used to navigating that very fundamental factual side. I really embrace the kind of left brain right brain leadership model that you can't, if you're consistently left-brained and you don't have the, right. the right-brained creative side to balance that out, you're going to be in a jam. Or at the very least, you need to have those right-brained people around you to help manage through this, because you're going to require creative solutions, and you know that that's that that's really important at times like this. So whether it's communication or decision making, right and left brain need to be in balance.
1: Yeah, well, no, I couldn't agree with you more. And and I think that there's people in each of our organizations who have strengths in those areas. And I think it's a leader's challenge to make sure that they're listening to those people and draw that out. Right. I think if you've learned you've learned enough what you're saying about your people. And you've been close enough that actually leveraging in, d- in this time, the different talents, the diversity of views and talents within your organization is going to be really important uh, during this pressure testing and uh, kind of going back to our military experience. Every time there was uh, some sort of training exercise or we did something, we always had an after action review, right? We yeah. had these AARs, right? right? And right. So what, what sparked in my head, as you were saying that is, when does a leader sit back and give themselves space to make sure they're doing the things you just described right so in the military that's that is formatted it's like you do an operation you do a hot wash which basically mean you do it in real almost like you know you're done you do it right away you know what we did well what we didn't do well and make some changes because you want to learn in the moment because everybody writes a memo, three days later, you're going to forget what happened. My suggestion to, to folks who lead organizations is to give your space, give space to yourself and your organization to do some after action reviews on a regular basis to check in and say, okay, we said we were going to do this. Ask right. yourselves, are we just using our old solutions for this new problem? What have we not thought of?
0: You're right. It's, we were, as we were talking about today, we broke it down to the things that develop the organization, the things that develop you as an individually as a leader. I think the, the after-action review, the AAR, that's the institutional knowledge that if you can capture that, then suddenly that becomes the, the muscle that builds up throughout the entire organization. That That's where your leaders are going to come from because they, they were involved in the decision-making. That my great takeaway from the military experience, and especially, you know, I, I was a lieutenant when September 11th happened and didn't end up deploying overseas for another 18 months. But in that interim time, that time of preparation, the most beneficial thing for me was being able to sit in rooms and watch decision makers that were much more senior than I make decisions, delegate, be informed. And just that observation made me that much more confident when I was in greater responsibility myself. So there's just such an opportunity at times like this to expose your team to decision making and the after-action review is is, is a great way to do that and building that into the meeting rhythm. Another thing, just on the personal development side, are you a writer? Do you do you journal? Do you write down things? Do you capture it at all personally?
1: Uh, no, I'm horrible at journaling. And so my response to not, you know, so I don't do like personal journaling, but I do a lot of journaling of ideas yeah. and after meetings. And that's, that's what I'm doing. So I get, you know, so from a personal perspective, I, I probably should do that too during these times. And journaling does help. It helps us collect information. And afterwards, compiling that and looking back at that, I think is very helpful, I think what you're describing. So for personal development also, I think the writing piece, what I found is sitting down to type out something or communication or, or in your case, you know what you're describing as journaling, you can't write as fast as you can think. I, I think for me, at least it lets my brain slow down a little bit and flow some ideas. And I think there's good neuroscience behind uh, writing down of, of ideas and accountability around those. I have an email file now between people that I'm keeping on my computer, mainly as a journaling perspective. As I think about the recovery phase, if there's learnings I can pluck from there for future work, it would be helpful for my consulting business or for my clients in the future. I guess I've never, I didn't think about it as journaling, but I think it is now as you, as you talk about it. I was using it this, I was using the, the kind of the
0: Moleskin method or just John and So yeah. I have, have this with me and writing things down. It was useful before, but re- now I'm realizing how important it is. Every once in a while in the course of a meeting or a conversation around the office, I'll have that particular turn of phrase that I say, that's the the summary of it. That encapsulates this idea. Because our, our challenge is if we wanted to regurgitate you know, the Wall Street Journal every day or the financial markets, the data isn't a problem. There's, there's an abundance of data. It's that one idea that's going to capture it in a concise way so that you can communicate it. And being able to jot that down in the moment is so important. So if you're thinking about how do you translate the, the strategy that your business is going to take or the steps that need to occur in, in the near, near term or long term, being in the habit of writing that down and when that epiphany hits you, I think can be an effective way to, to capture it and then in the future realize that those moments come, that you do have those enlightened moments where you can communicate in a concise way. Coming back to the, the larger organization side, this could be the kind of creative disruption that sometimes happens over a long period of time, happening in a really, really rapid period of time. Talk a little bit about running a virtual or disjointed organization. What what are what are we learning here, or what can we learn?
1: Uh, I like that creative destruction piece. This is forced, you know. So so sometimes you do it to yourself. Sometimes the, your competitors do it to you. At this point in time, the the virus is doing it to you. Right. Um, yeah, so so the structures that, that should be in place that you should be destroying is, this is a creative creative destruction for your meeting structures. And the question for leaders is, are you going to go back to the old way, which is in some organizations, they have very sketchy agendas. They kind of, you know, whatever, they're meandering. But in this current state, you need to be pretty tactical in your uh, communication before and after the follow-up the uh, collaborative spaces that people have been using in the past start to think about are the, is that working out for you how that collaborative space is both in physical space but now in electronic space as you know dennis i'm a big whiteboard person so it's right. driving me crazy not to stand. so i'm right in this little camera in my study upstairs and there's whiteboards in front of me and i wish i could like you know now this is the way you do it it's it's those kind of things in meetings that now you have to be able to communicate in a different way it's okay to fail, right? So if you try something, get some feedback if, in your organization. We tried this during this meeting. We did something different. Get some feedback in real time. A lot of these platforms right now uh, have voting uh, options on them. At the end of the meeting, you know, how did that meeting go? We tried this during the meeting. What are people, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. I, I don't know if that's, that's what you're kind yeah. of driving at but this is yeah. an example of a very structured organizational corporate thing that everybody does, meet. Let's start, and now you have to meet differently. You know, I
0: think what we're finding out in, in finance in particular is that fast pace can sometimes break things. Like we can yeah. all meander along at a reasonable pace. And, and with, with a history of planning for pandemic response or things that can literally go viral, yeah. how do you manage pace of, the, of what's happening outside, but also regulate pace inside? You know, and, and I use the example of sometimes when you're dealing with finances the right thing to do is absolutely nothing like stand pat hold your ground but but so the external pace internal pace how do you regulate that how do you manage that as a leader
1: yeah that's great so so during emergency preparedness uh, activation in the what we call it incident command structure everybody has a role so that I think that's helpful is to everybody's clear on their role so as things are very turbulent on the outside if there is a PR issue then the the public relations officer and that team. So, so having structure and, and following that structure, there's some, a lot of organizations who have a very loosey goosey kind of structure, which is fine most days, but now there may be need for at least for some tasks for there to make sure there's clear lines to help with the pace. The other piece, the other piece, when you said pace, it makes me think is Cadence. Mm. and to try to have a regular cadence during this time of of irregular news, irregular issues, uh, you know, things are closing. So in emergency preparedness, we always we usually go to a twice a day meeting, beginning of the business day and then at the end of the business day so that we know for the next 12 hours what needs to happen, what didn't happen, keep everybody updated. No matter what is happening, that piece of regular communication, hell or high water happens. I mean, literally, you, you know, aliens and zombies would have to be at the doorsteps for you not to have your 7 a.m., 7 p.m. cadence of your incident command report out. Right. That adds that's like a rudder. That's a stability piece. And no matter what's happening on the outside, you know, this is this cadence is important. We're also we're social animals. We'd like to be together. We're separate. Uh, We like to communicate in certain ways. And that also that cadence of communication, knowing that there's a regular meeting time, a regular transfer of information. If the company is doing daily updates, keep those up. Those are important. People are instinctively waiting for those daily updates on what's happening.
0: The pace thing, I think, is, is important because in our business, there's a ticker symbol on everything, that if yeah. you wanted to know what something is worth, if you want to know what's happening with economic data, for the most part, you can find it out instantaneously. So it's a real challenge to slow that down and not respond to every, every ticking piece of data. But that's not every business. A, a lot of times, our, our mind can do one of two things. We, we can either assume everything is volatile and, and bouncing around uh, like crazy, which is probably happening right now. Or we can assume stasis and then everything's staying the same when the reality is very different. I think part of the leader's job, if you you know, if there's not a, a ticker symbol on your business, is to really own the pace and and decide that these are that comes back to those those kind of critical three things each day. If you can set the critical things three things each day, then it kind of acts as a speed bump from your mind racing ahead to some pretty illogical conclusions and from your employees' perspective. If they're worried about you know, an existential threat to the business, if they're worried about an existential threat to their career or, or anything else. Keeping things back to what can we do today, what are these three things, kind of removes some of the risk that the pace of, of thinking, the pace of activity goes so fast that it starts to break the systems. Just in general, what, what do you pull forward from the military experience into today? Are there habits? Are there um, best practices? Are there things that, that you think yeah, this goes back to that experience, and now applies in the civilian world where I am now.
1: Yeah, so we all had battle buddies, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so you always took care of your buddy. We always you know, the lowest level of organization in the in the in the army, at least, was not one; it was two. Do not underestimate the impact of social isolation on your workforce. Yes, uh, there is great data out there around uh, the worsening of behavioral health. Uh, problems of addiction problems, uh, anxiety, you know, those kind of things, but also of health problems. There's data, the ARP did a study a while back that seniors who are socially isolated cost the healthcare system $134 more than their age-matched, chronic disease-matched, you know, individuals. Do not underestimate, uh, no matter what size your company is, what's happening in people's lives. They're concerned about their own safety, the safety of their family, their income, we want to go into panic mode here but do do those folks have battle buddies so they have they have somebody who they can reach out to um is is there uh, a conversation on a regular basis to make sure people's behavioral health mental health issues and you know you may have an eap program uh, within your company no matter what size it is i think it's a great time to to make sure that that program is available to folks that they understand how it works um that it's not uh, you know the stigma of of behavioral health mental health is is huge we need to, to chop that down on the lighter side uh it's springtime i don't know if you're that people usually had picnics or family gatherings and those kind of things those kind of get togethers i know dennis morton brown was going to do i think was tomorrow was going to do a uh, yeah yeah it was our, our march madness event but that's yeah happy hour so this sounds kind of really silly, but um I'm actually going to be hosting um uh, you know, a happy hour for some friends and family via uh, Zoom at some point in time. Uh, I do a family like an extended family meeting on Zoom every other night because um, because there's social isolation issues. And I'm just just the half an hour call. What is your company doing to maintain a little bit of silliness, serendipity, and happiness, right? in this time of just extreme emotional strain and economic strain? and, uh the immense uh, what's the word just ups and down roller coaster in the market if you're in the financial business or if you want, if you're looking at your retirement what is the outlet I think that I
0: mean, the irony of this of this whole situation the sad irony is we are all going through it together yet we're not all going through it together Absolutely. That, 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 that's oh. the, that's the real challenge
1: yeah well uh so that's, that's a great point so I would say we're not doing it together but we're doing it together with our families or, you know, hopefully right. loved ones. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's weird. So, you know, what sparked my brain right there was World War II, families were broken up and people had to go to war, right? right. And now it's actually the war is like coming to your household. You're trying to manage your business, You're trying to manage your family, your kids, if you have kids. And so the battlefield is in your home. And you said, you're right. That is low. And we talk about high social isolation at the same time. It's also like on top of you. It's literally the battlefield is the moment you step outside the door.
0: Right, do you think this is going to escalate the idea of employees working from their home? Or do you think people working remotely will realize they don't really like it and long to be back into the office community experience? My, my personal belief is that the common experience and the common bond is gonna draw people back together afterwards, that we're gonna see kind of a snapback of community culture. You know we, we've talked for many years about with the abundance of social media the the downside to that has been being present without actually having to be present mm. that, that you can you can sit there and be in a room and and be texting with the people who are sitting to to the right and left of you without ever actually having to engage yeah my, my feeling is that there's going to be at least some snapback in engagement and a desire for face to face when that becomes safe again what it what i think it will do from a business owner perspective is that we have to acknowledge that this is a possibility. This extreme example has to be part of the business plan. My partner Katie and I joke sometimes about the aggressive balance of life, that it's never kind of a delicate balance mm-hmm. here. Oftentimes yeah. it's a, it's aggressive one way and aggressive the other. And I think we will see this snapback to aggressively socializing into the summer months here in the States, but then businesses planning for that aggressive contingency on the other side where when we need to, we can. Yeah. I- isolate and succeed what do you think Mike?
1: so I, I, yeah i don't know i i think you know where i was a couple days ago was i was sort of shorting the you know uh, office space market in my brain like oh people are never gonna come back to work and then my head snapping back going well maybe what this question brings to mind is is there going to be a greater sense and need immediately afterwards for people to reconnect and i think that is also true I think being intentional about this conversation as you, as a business owner going forward and thinking at the, the positive and negative of both sides of the story. And the positive mm-hmm. side is going to be that if you need to move your, for whatever strategic reasons, your organization to more distributed, remote workforce, then this is a way for you to exercise that muscle. And I'll use recruitment as a reason behind that. What sparked in my mind, Dennis, with that is, wow this may be on the good side, a way of saying, you know, maybe I will hire that person who lives remotely because now my organization knows how to manage people remotely more easily. I think uh, vice versa. I think that there is also the the individual employees who've always talked about, oh, I really want to work from home. (laughs) Right. I mean, there's always this like magical, like, oh, if only I could work from home, I could work in my pajamas all day. Uh, the flip side of that is, I think they're exploring what that really means and and, and how productive they are. And you may actually have some more mature conversations with you in your organization, your employees around this topic, uh, right? And more informed. And I really don't know. I think that's a that is a great question. And I, if I was a business leader, uh, that's something I would put on my kind of whiteboard behind my desk and continuously look at and continuously ask myself. And then when you're in the recovery phase rethink that question and get your employees involved in that in that question so i think i don't know i think we have another question so can you suggest how we can appropriately refer clients if we learn they're isolated and may need support services so i'll put my clinical hat on i'll put my uh, pediatrician hat on and i'll put my public health hat on maintaining people's privacy is obviously important in this situation i think if they're coming to you and they're asking for help or there's clearly that's in the com- conversation then i think it's it's great to approach them and for them to start off by and it sounds kind of silly but just could connect with their physician if they are in crisis if if the if the thought process if someone's having significant issues they're a crisis there are hotlines there's a group that does this i think basically for free and you you text into this number and you get a licensed behavioral health person and they will uh, just ask you through text anonymously how are you doing and that kind of stuff, and they'll look for for your re- for resources. There is not enough behavioral health specialists now, or especially after all of this. In fact, some of my you know this Dennis, some of my my passion in working right now is around behavioral health, and I'm actually working with a tech company out of Philadelphia who works with uh, both payers and providers, uh, so on the insurance side and on the hospital side to do remote patient engagement around behavioral health and do evidence-based metrics so that you can actually track people's uh, things such as how long you're sleeping, how happy, you know, so the mood swings and they give you some real evidence-based tools. There are a ton of, I hate to say this, but there's a ton of apps out there around this same sort of thing. And so the other, for the person who asked this question is that if folks are feeling isolated, some of the things that we talked about today about connecting with your family, using just those just like very practical things and then i would say personally if the person who sent this if, if if you think you have somebody who's doing that just check in on them again trying to protect the person's privacy so the other, my other part of my business is executive coaching so one of the mantras is, is always be curious about the other person mm-hmm. right the, the coaching is not about yourself it's about the other person and, and be curious about what they're thinking so the other suggestion is as you're having these conversations just be curious be curious about how they're dealing with the isolation, How what things are doing. You don't necessarily need to give, always give them solutions. Just giving them space to talk it out and having a conversation with you could be enough for them to take the next step, or that's all they really need.
0: I think that also dovetails into just the idea of self-care for anyone in a leadership role, that, that idea of putting on your oxygen mask first. One of the sentiments that we've heard a little bit in conversations talking to business owners, talking to friends, talking to clients, is that in some respects there's a sense of regret that why didn't I do more, why didn't I see this yeah. coming, why didn't, and step one is forgive yourself, give yourself a break, that this is something that's, that's extraordinary, it's unprecedented, it's not something, there, there was never an amount of preparedness that would have gotten you there, here. So yeah. you remove that, that guilt, to get as far away from that guilt as possible and start focusing on taking care of yourself, one of the pitfalls for leadership is you become that indispensable person. You just dive in, you take all the responsibility, you take all all the blame, all the credit. A friend of mine has this visual where he talks about just, it's putting on that rucksack every day. You just put one more weight on it, throw it on your back and go. That's not going to get you there. And that's one of the pitfalls for your own health at a time
1: like this. No, absolutely. So, so absolutely, and there is tons of literature in the, you know, both on the business side and the the psychology side around sacrifice syndrome. You know, it's notably called sacrifice syndrome for for leaders that they sacrifice themselves for the good of the company, they sacrifice their family life, they sacrifice their health, and this is a well known syndrome that it probably is going to get worse. That you'll go through a self sacrifice because you are trying to keep the whole company together in this very. Tumultuous time and the weight of the world is on your shoulders, and uh, absolutely healthy habits. This might be a great time to, to build a community of people who want to talk about this, to get together on a regular basis for leaders who would have traditionally maybe gone out and played around a golf or had a cup of coffee or whatever else, exchanged ideas. Try to figure out how to to resist that isolation and put together some sort of mastermind group or um, mm-hmm. something, right? Some sort of sense of community. So I I. So I mentioned Jenny Blake earlier. So I I belong to a private um, sort of com- community of solopreneurs with Jenny Blake, who who did a lot of coaching, executive coaching at uh, Google, and has is a keynote speaker and does a lot of great work. And that's been to me that's been really helpful because I'm on the phone with you, Dennis, or other folks or other clients all the time. But I'm I'm by myself, and this affords me a time to have a sense of community and just care and just spend some mind time about. Uh, with people who are like-minded, around uh, in my case, being an entrepreneur in, in this space of consulting, freelancing, executive coaching, and just being supportive for each other, and also be you know do, do with them, but also have compassion for yourself. We're going to make some mistakes over the next couple of weeks yes. during this unknown times, and just be compassionate for yourself and allow yourself to make those mistakes and learn from them and go forward. Because if if we ruminate over that, um, that is going to be additive if not multiplying the stress we're feeling every day.
0: And the, what we're doing right now is an offshoot of that. You and I have talked for for some time about just that that informal mastermind okay. group, the people we touch base with, the people we share ideas with, who are going through some of the same things. So I, I, uh, I think it's it's been beneficial for me and it, this is a catalyst for me to, to formalize that and do a little bit more okay. of having those conversations. Any final thoughts on just how you see, let's take this out to... Um, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, H- how you see us coming out of this and just things that, that leaders should be conscious of as we make it to the other side.
1: You know, I do a lot of thinking around that, uh, and I think I've said it before. I, I think that there are going to be a lot of opportunities for business leaders to learn about themselves. Um, in c- it, so we keep on, you know, for the folks on the phone who are bored of the continuously military <laughs> kind of analogies, but we're going to battle, and people who go through battle together make bonds and and you know there's all the negative sort of post-traumatic stress stuff i'm not gonna talk about that but they make lifelong bonds it changes the the way they think and manage in the future and spend the time at the recovery phase being intentional about looking at what went right what went wrong with your organization and uh you know time to pull the visions and values maybe off the wall and maybe relook at your strategy. I mean, I think everybody's strategic plan just literally got burned, got torched. The, that window of time, that crack in time to allow yourself and be intentional to relook at those structures is a huge opportunity because you and your yes. employees, and also we can talk, we can talk about governance. So we could do a whole thing on governance, right? So if there's business owners who have a board, just this may be a time where you can really engage your board in a completely <laughs> different way. And at the end, that's also a piece of work. You know, how did the board help you or your advisory, whatever whatever structure you have to give you advice, or if you have a board structure, this is an excellent time to look at forward to what we could be doing.
0: And and actually we have a question somewhat related to that. And I want to make sure I understand this properly. So from your backgrounds, would you address lessons learned in the context of planning and future impact of their organization? So I think Mike, that's what, that's kind of what you're touching on, is that there is an opportunity to capture lessons learned. I know hindsight, I wish I'd written down more of the things that I've been able to navigate in my career or some of the challenges and pivots that, that I've made. I would say that the more you can document, this is where the institutional knowledge is built. Like it all, this is where your team, like you said, you've, you've gone through the wars together. You, you've kind of navigated this crisis. There's so much institutional knowledge to be gained. And the, the team that you were at the beginning is gonna be different from the team that you are at the end. Capturing that and understanding, you know, what do we have at our disposal now is gonna be really important. Um, we, we call it around here, we call it the asset inventory. Just stepping back at the end and saying, coming out of this particular crisis where we've learned certain things, we've developed certain things, and we've, we've made certain mistakes, what are the assets we have at our disposal now in terms of people and process and lessons that we can now make part of a, an optimistic future for the organization. I think taking time to do that asset inventories is just, uh, it would be critical. I wish I'd done it more up until now. I wanna make sure that I do it as we go through and then coming out of this.
1: Yeah, lessons learned, uh, and I apologize for the dog barking, but this is the one beauty about working from home. We're all gonna be yeah, hearing exactly. kids crying and dogs barking in the background. So, you know, we're, we're all real people. So 2017, we had Hurricane Harvey uh, we had the shooting in Las Vegas. We had several other hurricanes, right? So we learned a lot in emergency preparedness. And what's happening right now reminds me we didn't learn enough or weren't intentional enough, as you're describing. So let me explain that a little bit further. The supply chain for for N95 masks, ventilators, and all the things that right now you're hearing in the news. If we would have looked at the hurricane that hit uh, Hurricane Maria that hit Puerto Rico in healthcare. Uh, mm-hmm. Love pharmaceutical companies have huge manufacturing plants in Puerto Rico that went down and we were short. We had significant shortages, things as simple as IV fluids that help us, you know, hydrate people, but also help carry medicines into your body through, through your vein, we got hammered, hammered in that. Oh. And we had national shortages. People were doing all kinds of crazy things in order to deliver medications appropriately. Crazy things in is things that hadn't been done before. I'm not saying they were not safe, but they were going through a lot of hoops That added multiple layers of steps and processes to do the right thing, all could have been avoided if we would have understood the impact of putting that kind of plant on an island that can get hit by a hurricane. Same problem now. We should have said, we saw SARS, you know, hit back in 2003, 2004 in China. Someone should have thought, hey, you know, if China goes down, what's going to happen to these medical supplies and everything else like that? That's what we're seeing now, Right. On the other side, there's been some things in emergency areas that are happening now with these drive-through screening centers. So, many of you on the phone may go to the drive-through that Lehigh Valley Health Network does for for the influenza. Myself and Terry Berger, who uh, who's an infection prevention uh, leader, we sort of saw a model that was in Louisville um, that year, but the year before that was happening. It was like, oh, we should do this, and we just operationalized it. We we made mistakes every year. We did a better and better job. And in the height of 2009, 2010, during H1N1 vaccinations, we were delivering 10,000 vaccines in a day, right? Where we first started, we were struggling with just a couple of thousand a day. So that's a case where we did learn, we applied a new creative solution to a problem and moved forward. More of that has to happen, more of that. So so what you're learning now and doing, um, you're gonna make mistakes, but you need to keep on honing things down and dust off those business continuity plans two years from now, three years from now, because there'll be another SARS-like event in the future. Mm-hmm. Maybe not right away, but, but we can't just put those things on the shelf and you know, let them collect dust. Those things need to be uh, discussed. So wait, what, what other question? Do you want to take the next one? or? Yeah, just, just the
0: question about um, how does the military critically review past actions? Can it be done in-house or is it facilitated externally? So the, um, the Army, while, and both of us are armies, so we'll speak to, to that. We all wear the same color uniform but it's still a very disparate organization so i was uh, my specialty was patriot missiles which is a really unique function within the military it, it kind of acts as its own animal sometimes so we would look across at the infantry or uh, medical corps or quartermaster or some of these other elements of the army and we operated very differently but we all had to operate in a coordinated manner so if we did the, the great example was on September 11th was a Tuesday in 2001. That week, on Sunday night of that week, we were starting a week-long emergency deployment readiness exercise. So that Sunday night, we called in a whole battalion of people, a couple thousand soldiers, and started acting like we were deploying overseas for some emergency. And 18 hours later, it became real. So we were already going through this preparation process for which there was gonna be an after action review and, and a, a lot of internal conversations about how did we as a battalion, how did we as a brigade respond to this? But once things became real on September 11th, then it became external to our unit. It became, all right, how do we coordinate with the armor units who need to get tanks on the same planes that our Patriot missile launchers need to get on? And how do right. we coordinate among, amongst these external? So in a hierarchical organization like the military, you're often looking up the chain of command to say, how does each one of these units relate to the other units involved? And I think in a, in a small business context, we're, we're doing the same thing Is we, we can do the internal review, but then as a leader, you need to then take that information and then look outwards and say, "What? where are the ripple effects within the, the external community, whether it's our, our supply chain, whether it's in our, our strategic partnerships or whatever it might be. So you do the internal review, take that information And then communicate that outward because you're never going to accomplish it if everyone else doesn't know the lessons that you learned. And I think in that 18 months from the time we were on alert to the time that we then deployed for for an actual um, deployment, that was the part that we really had to focus on is taking the after action review and making it externally shared information from internal lessons learned.
1: Yeah, no, right. So the the beauty of the military is we have structure and everybody knows their job and we have uh, hundreds of years of messing it up sometimes. So um, to answer the question, you know, as a consultant in this space, of course it should be done externally, right? (laughs) So, and you should hire me. No, that's a joke. Um, So on all seriousness, uh, there is plenty of tools out there. After action reviews uh, in the military, there's a lot of, 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 Disaster preparedness kind of uh, work that you can do. That I think I would start internally and be intentional as a leader. And I think it can be done effectively in house. I think that people need to stretch. And, I, and again, I'm all for people learning. So, so learn how to do this. Look this up. You know, again, I'm I'm available and helpful to folks here in the community. I'm happy to help you out. But really, I think it can be done internally. One piece of uh, that I want to hit again. I mentioned hot wash uh, earlier. One piece of advice I would say is that uh, literally after an operation, we would, you know, if it was a sandy area, literally you would just like clear out some sand, draw a little picture with little mountains and, you know, put little, you know, whatever sticks in the ground and go, okay, we did this and this and this and this happened. And what, did you, what happened there? Cause, and you did it literally in the moment. In emergency preparedness, we do the same thing. After a mass casualty, so, so literally after uh, the Las Vegas shooting in 2017, within hours as that got cleared up, Folks in those in Sunrise Hospital, literally, as I understand it, sat down and go, okay, all right, let's start collecting all this information. Let's talk right now while it's still fresh in our brains. What happened? What what should we be done? What went well? Let's let's do some some celebration. Right there needs to be some gratitude that people got through this and did the best job they could. But it's got to be done in the moment. So I would say to the person who asked the question, is that as you're doing a review, take the time, give yourself some space that when something really good happens or really bad happens that, that you know comes to your attention, give yourself some space and just say, hey, uh, let's talk about this for 10 minutes. Come up with a very short situational awareness, kind of do something very, very simple, collect mm-hmm. that information, and then you can use it. The closer you do it to the time of the event, the more informative and informed it will be to the process.
0: And it also comes back to that word that you used earlier, Mike, which is curious. It really enhances yeah. the, the curious muscle of the leader because you, you, you may not know what questions to ask. You, you know, the faces are going to turn to you looking for guidance, looking for, for wisdom. Yeah. But really, this is your chance to turn it back on your team and say, what did we learn? And, and, give, and create that open environment. That curiosity is going to be really beneficial because it, you're, you're catching it at that hot moment.
1: Yeah, and in, and back to the battlefield promotion piece. Um, there may be somebody who's kind of skilled in the facilitating this kind of process in your organization, or would like to be skilled in this right, process. Right. You know, help them out, give them the resources. Say, you know, it sounds like you're really good at doing this. Whatever, can you take this? Doesn't the leader doesn't do, have to do everything? That's uh, You don't. You don't have to do every single thing because your brain as the leader needs to be processing. For example, a leader should never facilitate in my mind a strategic planning session. Right? We need your brain to sit there and help process what's going on in that strategy session. That's why you hire a facilitator. You know, Internally, if you've got people who are talented and interested in doing this kind of work, you know, give up that control. That can also be very freeing. And also mentally, um, it gives you, as a leader, some rest to not always have to be the one to have all the answers.
0: This has been really good. Um, Mike, so to, to the extent people want to follow up on this, how, how can they best contact you? How can they reach Yeah. Out?
1: No, apps, yeah. So uh, my website is mjc.solutions. My email is mjc at MJ I said jokingly, you know, this is why I'm doing this. I, you know, really I'm not doing this to draw up business. I'm doing this because I think it's important for the community, our community here in the Lehigh Valley and, and the folks who are calling from other areas to, to think about this. I hope that this is helpful for them and has spurred uh, some uh, deeper thinking and knowing that there are folks who are uh, all in the same boat and we're we're all together in this so give yourself some compassion learn from this resist you know what you can uh, as a leader to have to shoulder this the sacrifice syndrome during this time and be feel free to to delegate and i think at the end of the day this is again a generation generational defining moment we don't know what's going to happen and uh nobody has all the right answers but taking an active role in your future and not just standing by is really important.
0: Yeah, the story of twenty twenty. I mean, it's it's health, it's finance, it's business, it's politics, it's all of those things. But I think for for those of us in the position of leading organizations, the, the unifying theme is leadership. And it's a it's an opportunity to test our skills, to develop our skills. So this is our contribution, hopefully, to that dialogue. Thank you for joining Absolutely. us today. Mike, thanks for the great conversation. Thank you. It's always fun
1: this, this is what this is what dennis and i uh you know talk about when we're in our free time yeah, this this and, counts as fun right yeah so, exactly and, and and last thing wash your hands. Wash your,
0: hands wash your hands
1: yeah exactly so if you're not having if you're at the point at your home or your family isn't now going out to buy hand lotion because your hands are so chapped from from uh washing your hands then you're probably not washing your hands enough so that's that's my kind of use yeah. hand lotion at least a couple times a day to dry to to help heal your drying hands so uh, dennis a pleasure a great use of our morning i learn always learn a lot a lot from your perspective uh, and uh, again people are happy to to reach out and 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 to communicate even if they just want to bounce an idea off happy to do that it's important for all of us to to be in this together
0: great stay strong stay safe and we'll uh, hopefully catch up with you soon take care Morton Brown Family Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. More information is available at our website, www.mortonbrownfw.com.